Hi, everyone. Welcome back to uh, Fixed Astro Podcast. I'm here today with Pau, and we are going to do a deep dive into the Deccans of Capricorn. And I regret to inform you all, this is the last Deccan series episode that we're doing, um, which is kind of bittersweet, like, because I had a lot of fun, you know, delving into the, you know, subdivisions of the Zodiac. It's been really fun. I agree. It's bittersweet. I can't believe a year has passed. That means we've been doing this podcast for over a year now. Mm -hmm. So that's really cool. But I I can't believe we already ran through all the Deccans now. Yeah, no, it's it's great. Like, I think the only way we could like do something just as comparable is if we wanted to go Vedic and do, you know, like Lunar Mansions, which, you know, I'm not opposed to. But yeah, like, I don't know. The Deccans are just really fun. Really fun. And I... I don't know. I feel like I have more of this appreciation of, like, astrology, but also the relationship it could have with tarot as well. And I feel like it's one that's very understated. I agree. I think doing this really deepened my astrology practice and my tarot practice and so that's been like really really fun to explore this past year and to do it with you and to go through all the example charts like I'm really happy that we did that for every single decade oh yeah no me too and it's like just given me a different way to think about like I don't know like so for example um Again, I, I'm not as good with horary. I think you're better at horary than I am. I'm sure like if you really wanted to like make it a little more divinatory, for example, like thinking about the Deccans is like thinking about narratives, right? And how the narratives and archetypes of that like sliver of the zodiac plays into, you know, the expression of a planet or like the meaning of an angle or the meaning of a house, right? And I've noticed that, you know, just looking at my solar returns and the solar returns of certain clients, I've been able to, like, utilize some of that in terms of, like, helping them get a better sense of, like, what the year is going to look like. And I really feel like it's, yeah, no, it's, it's just really valuable. And I really hope that everybody who's been following this journey got a lot out of it. Yeah, with horary, I do want to explore more how to use the Deccans because you know, what I've, like, you know, with a lot of horror questions, a lot of questions will, for whatever reason, you may want to identify, like, that, like, what a planet, whoever they're signifying, like, the physical or characteristic, the physical traits or characteristic that person has, and term often, or bound often gets used to be, to, like, kind of come up with those descriptors, like, for example, like, if you have questions about, like, a future partner, or questions about if you have an item that you think got stolen, like, what the thief would look like, or be like, um, yeah, oh, oh no, you cut out, I want to come apart, no, no, you're good, um, okay, let me, let me just think of this most seamless way, let me just, um, let me just start over on what I was sharing about the, um, yeah, I'm really interested in exploring more about how to use decans in horary because bound or term comes up a lot, especially when it comes to um, figuring out how to describe a person that you may be asking about, whether that's a future lover or if you have an item that you think got like stolen, you know, the thief of that item, you know, oftentimes horary calls for those kind of descriptors. And I haven't really seen decan or face come up. So 
um, I am really, really interested to see and learn more and observe that. Yeah. I mean, even from like a tarot perspective as well, uh, I feel like there's a lot to, you know, play with in terms of thinking about the minor arcana, um, you know, like with respect to, you know, the numerology that already goes into it, the element piece, there's like, I've been even thinking about like the relationship between cards and their like aspects. So like cards that oppose each other, cards that are square, you know, cards that are trying, cards that even sextile each other. Like, I mean, there's so much to play with. And I think that you know, going forward in 2022, I really want to, at least with, you know, other things that I'm working on, like, I guess, giving voice to like, all the different permutations of like, playing with that, and what that means, astrologically, but also from a tarot perspective, like, it's just, oh, my brain is just like, so open right now. (laughs) It's great. The oppositions have been something I've been especially fascinated with because even like no matter what you have in your chart, even if you don't have any planets that oppose one another, you will always have an ascendant and a descendant that oppose each other. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. a midheaven and an icy that oppose each other. And even just looking at the difference between those two decans and the tarot cards that are associated with them, like for me, like for example, like I'm a Taurus, um, like my, my ascendant's in Taurus too. So looking at the difference between Taurus 2 versus Scorpio 2 or the cards associated Six of Pentacles versus Six of Cups um, has really helped with my astrological practice and even just thinking about my own chart. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. And yeah, guys, it's it's really rich out here. And like there's some weird archetypal metaphysical sauce that we're all like tapping into when we... Uh, you know, try to put these things together, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> now that now that I'm talking about this, I'm like, maybe we're not done with the Deccans. Maybe we need to do like just more, you one know, more episode at least on just like, how do we put this into practice? Like all this, I don't know. Maybe. Honestly, like, yeah, actually now that you, yeah, you, you made a good point. Yeah. Like I just said, you just said a bunch of stuff. I said a bunch of stuff and it's like, we're not done with the Deccans. So (laughs) this is just like, you know, the beginning of like, you know, the overview of, you know, each Deccan and, you know, their archetypes and stuff. But no, definitely like in the future, I think we should totally like think of ways to put it into practice. Like, because it's one thing to hear about, you know, Deccans and what they mean, but it's another thing to like apply them. Right. It's a whole different thing entirely. Yeah. So. Yeah. You could brainstorm that further, but you all got to just listen to us brainstorm that, like, live. <laughs> yeah, no, we literally just thought of it, and I feel so done. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. Oops. We, 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 we have been brainstorming, though. It's not like we don't think about this. And um, the brainstorm we had previously done was that once we were done with these Deccan episodes, we would go into the planetary joys. And that is definitely going to continue to be the plan. But after kind of this little discussion here, maybe we wrap up the Deccans a little bit more. Um, yeah. I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. But yeah, I mean, that's a good segue into like just you know, what we plan to do after. 
Um, for sure, like within this calendar year, Planetary Joys will be starting. And that's really exciting because it's an excuse to really delve into, you know, the meanings of, you know, the traditional seven planets, but also like the houses that get meaning from like the meanings of those planets. Uh, yeah. I love planetary joys. I'm excited to talk about them and we're, I'm sure we'll, we're going to continue to, we, we have a bazillion ideas. It's just a matter. We really like this idea of doing series because it worked so well with the Deccans. So that's mm-hmm. what we're doing planetary joys next. And we want to continue to just think of more ideas. Of course, if any of you all have topics that you really want us to touch on where, you know, like contact us on Twitter and let us know. Literally just add, at us individually at fixed astropod like at us we love this stuff it's great (laughs) (laughs) uh but yeah no like uh the current astro weather so you have any thoughts about (laughs) venus retrograde (laughs) because um i don't know like where do i begin i am i definitely I, i i mentioned this in our year ahead podcast but I, I definitely felt every time Venus was conjoined to Pluto, both when it was direct and then now, and then this more recent time when it was retrograde, there was there was definitely a lot of like intensity there. But in terms of how it's been since it's like past, um, it's been just like many retrogrades is a really a more reflective time for me. Mm-hmm. But I do think just, and we'll talk more about what what's to come this month. I do think things are, I'm already getting a sense things are really, really going to start picking up. Some of that too is just like the new year starting. Like I'm starting a new job. Like this is all, I have to move to a new city. All this stuff's just going to start picking up really fast. So I am getting some of that feeling, but I think because of just that retrograde energy in the air, there is a little bit of slowdown and like reflect and yeah. Yeah, I felt like, the station, but also the times that Venus was crossing Pluto, both while she was still direct and while she um, has been retrograde, I found that those were disgustingly loud. Not just, you know, from my own personal life, but also from the perspective of, like, things going on in the world. Like, you know, the I feel like uh, the verdict around Ghislaine Maxwell came out around, like, the time Venus was retrograde and conjunct Pluto. Um, there were some other like really messy news stories as well regarding like, um, you know, things happening to women, things around like power. Also, like, again, supply chain issues, like I've been telling you guys a thousand times. It was so loud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I had texted you and the Ghislaine Maxwell verdict had come out. Mm-hmm. That I think Jupiter had also ingressed in the Pisces. Yeah, Jupiter did day. ingress. Yeah. <laughs> so I and I'm sure we will. I, I well, I don't know about you, but I did. I did list her as an example chart for today's Deccan's episode. Oh yeah, she's no, got, she. She's got a very loud Capricorn stellium. Stellium in the eighth house. It's so loud. Mm. Yeah, uh, so. yeah, no, like it's. Yeah, no, you raise a good point, and like. I don't know, like. Venus retrograde. So I've been seeing a lot of discourse about. Uh, whether it's good to start relationships during Venus retrograde. And honestly, it depends on your chart. It depends on your timing. If you're called to start a relationship, you're going to anyway. I'm sorry. (laughs) You're just going to do it. 
anybody, you know, some well-meaning astrologer can tell you don't do it till you're blue in the face. But honestly, some people do and it ends up working out for them. And you know what? That's just part of their like life narrative. I know for myself from personal experience, like absolutely not, (laughs) not under this like Capricorn um, Venus uh, star point cycle. For me, I've noticed that it's the Leo cycle that's better for me relationally, despite that being a sixth house transit. So (laughs) yeah, it's, it's really interesting stuff, but that's probably because of the trine relationship to my own Venus. Yeah. Instead of being in a square, right? Um, and speaking yeah. of the star point cycle, right, I think it's worth mentioning that there's going to be a Sun Venus Kazemi on January. So that's in four days from this recording. So, yeah. I already know what my Kazemi event is too, and it's great. Really? <laughs> oh, I'm happy for you. <laughs> it's great. That's all I'm going to say. It's great. Um, it's good. It's good stuff. Yeah. I, I missed all that discourse around starting new relationships during Venus retrograde. I've never personally done it. I the this last Venus retrograde in Gemini, as well as the one that had happened in I think it was twenty twelve, yeah. were both just big <laughs> dating binges for me that never ever resulted in like a long term relationship. But I guess even on that point, right, I guess it also just begs the question of, like, how do you define success when it comes to dating and relationships anyway? I think people will generally think about longevity, like, okay, it's something that's long-term and serious equals a successful relationship, but that might not necessarily be the case. Like, maybe, I don't know if Venus retrogrades are, are the best for that, but maybe that's not what you're looking for anyway, and if not, you know, yeah. I don't know, go for it. Yeah, and it's like the assumption that everybody's looking for, you know, the long term relationship as like a metric of relational success. I'm not really sure that applies to everybody because, you know, just because you're in a long relationship doesn't mean you're enjoying it, yes. doesn't mean you're happy. Um, commitment and romance are two different things, in my opinion. It's great when they are on the same page, but it doesn't happen for everybody and I think it just depends on what the value set of the people involved is and yeah yeah I've been having a lot of thoughts about that and I feel like that can also be very very Venus Pluto (laughs) oh yeah no me too like um (laughs) I'm just thinking about like things happening in my own personal life around relationships because I happen to be a Venus embodied person for you know a few people in my life and I'm the planet that represents me in their chart is Venus. So like, I'm just thinking about, you know, how I and the changes I'm going through personally are affecting other people. So yeah. <laughs> I, that's so funny. Cause it's the same way with me with almost anyone I date. Like my, I'm, I'm eighth house Venus in my partner's chart. I was eighth house Venus in my ex-husband's chart. <laughs> Wow, that is so loud. Yeah. That's loud. (laughs) That's loud. Let's see. I'm a a first house Venus retrograde in Scorpio for one person. I'm a combust Venus in Aquarius for another person. And I am Venus in the 10th house in Taurus for somebody else. So it's great. 
Ooh, I like that last one. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's great. That's, that's all fixed signs for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's funny. That's all fixed signs. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, also, like the Mercury shadow, like I do want to say that like people should not sleep on things happening in the shadow period because you're going to have to redo it again <laughs> when Mercury goes like that's so that's why i'm like kind of treading with caution a little bit like okay things that i am doing right now uh wait when did mercury go into shadow wasn't it like i feel like it was not too long after christmas if not like the day after i can't remember Mm -hmm. i i don't remember it was something like that yeah anything you do in the next couple weeks between like now ish and what the 14th like mm-hmm. probably gonna have to redo it revisit it or like go through some like delay that keeps it from like being finished for whatever reason nine times out of ten it will involve paperwork and or resources because you know this is a retrograde that's gonna go back into an earth sign yeah like, I'm nervous because it's really looking like I'll probably be signing a lease during Mercury retrograde. I want to at least try to get it before, but I'm, I'm just hitting the shadow no matter what. So we'll see yeah. how that goes. And then on top of that, yeah, of course, I have to deal with a lot, a whole bunch of paperwork for my, my new job. So. I mean, I will say that, like, because I've noticed and I'm wondering if this is like because so in my chart, I have Mercury ruling my fourth house. Mercury in my progress chart has been retrograde since I was six years old. Um, no, maybe not six, like 10. Yeah, since I was like 10. Um, and I've noticed that most of my moves between me being like six and me being whatever age I am. Uh, sorry, the last 20 years, my brain, my brain is not working right now. Sorry. So the last 20 years, any move that I've made was during a Mercury retrograde. So like, I feel like there's like a weird thing going on there. Um, yeah. So my last two or three moves have been during Mercury retrogrades or like I've signed a lease during a Mercury retrograde. Um, yeah. and for the, let's see for the move I made, cause that move was me coming to Canada. Like that one wasn't so bad, but like, I had to rely on my partner for a lot of shit mm-hmm. and it was very uncomfortable. And there was the whole like, okay, wrapping up like my job and like the purest manifestation of mine was like, I think it started in my sixth house and it went into my fifth house. Like I had to literally get on a plane and like move my pet children up to Canada because it would be too, it would be too chaotic to drive. Like, mm-hmm. and I wasn't going to subject them to that. So god i'm gonna i'm gonna have to talk to you offline about that because that's gonna be a whole thing to figure out with my cat but yeah i i'm yeah i'm not i have signed a lease before during a mercury retrograde and it was Mm -hmm. like totally fine so um but yeah i i do i agree with you so mercury retrograde it's like january 14th everyone pay attention to the shadow period as well um yeah it's like by mid-month we'll have both mercury and venus retrograde um Mercury, I do. I don't think goes into Capricorn um, while Venus is still retrograde, but Mercury will make its way back into Capricorn before. It's yeah, yeah. Around. I don't think. I don't think it will. No, 
Yeah. I think in terms of astro weather, a lot of the stuff happens at the end of the month when we're in Aquarius season. So we'll go into that maybe in the next episode. But Mm -hmm. I think the other big thing worth noting is that the nodes are going to change signs um, into Taurus and Scorpio. I think think it's January 18th. Yeah. It's something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, fixed signs. It's time. Like you're you're in um, semi main character mode. Enjoy it. <laughs> I, yeah, I. You know, we 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 both talk a lot about our fixed sign placements. I think anyone listening who's been listening to us knows what we had to deal with. The other thing I had mm-hmm. learned um, since the last episode, I was I was messaging Mo about like composite charts and Davidson charts. And it's like, no matter which one I use for me and my partner, like this will be a nodal return. Oh my God. That's I loud. Yeah, I think it's a nodal. Yes. I think it's going to be a nodal return. Yeah. Full nodal return. So. That's loud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's funny because, like, for me, it's going to be a nodal reversal. Oh. So, I mean, it doesn't peak until, like, next year, but still, the energy is there. Like, (laughs) so anyone who's, like, 27-ish, enjoy your nodal reversal. (laughs) That's all I have to say. Uh, I I remember my nodal reversal, like 27, just like with so many people, you know, you have your Saturn return, you have your nodal reversal. For me, that was getting just a lot of things solid with my career, like realizing like, this is it, like, I, I really want to do social justice work professionally. And then I also got married. Mm-hmm. And then I also started powerlifting and getting really also serious about taking care of my health. Nice. Yeah, no, also 27 ish is like, progressed um lunar return time too like oh my god like i was just looking at my progressions and i realized later this year is my regressed lunar return i'm like uh what i'm like i feel like my progressed moon just moved into scorpio but then i realized 2020 was like two years ago so <laughs> I I mean I low key miss that though. Like I'm I'm in a progressed Cancer Moon um cycle right now, and I that's think that's great though. Are you kidding me? No, it's nice. It's nice. I'm not complaining, but it just has been like I I probably cried more in like the past like two years than I have in like okay. the past like thirty years combined. That <laughs> it's very makes very Cancer. A lot. Of sense, and, and that's my yeah. that's my natal third house too, right? <laughs> um, it's just so it's just been so 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 lunar, but I am ready for the change of energy, and I do think my progressive moon moves into Leo this year. I think it's the end of this year, so it'll be fun. Nice, yeah. yeah. So, guys, don't sleep on like all these other things going on, like Time Lord activations, outer planet movements, nodal movements. Like it's all loud stuff. Yes. So, yeah. Um, and then before we dive into Capricorn, do you have any announcements? My only announcement is that I'm back on social media, and which includes Astro Twitter. And I'm glad to be back. I also really love being off social media, but I do need to get back on it because um, I work in communications. And I started my new job. So I do 
need to get back on this. But, um, yep. Feel free to say hi to me on there. Yes. Um, also, like, if you haven't heard, my consults are open. Um, again, uh, referrals or existing clients only. Um, if you are on my mailing list, I might be nice and let you have a consult. The idea is you have to join my mailing list because I think I'm, it's not that I'm not going to do stuff on Twitter, but between trying to build a website and like just thinking about other things going on in my life, I don't think I want Twitter to be like my primary way of communicating with people. Like, obviously, it's great for shit posting and what have you, but like, or hot takes, but you know, I don't want my astrological practice to be centered around hot takes. That's not really, I mean, I can give one, but like, it's not really my brand. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so get on my mailing list. Um, consults are open until April because after that, I need to take a break and I have things to be working on. And I will be soft launching my website at the beginning of February. So if you're on my mailing list, stay tuned. Love it. My readings are still not open. That's all I have to say. Uh, I'm, I'm like, don't worry, guys. I'm low-key, like, begging pal to, like, slowly reopen consults. But when she's ready. <laughs> All right, you ready to start talking about Capricorn, the archetype? Oh, yes. Like, I stayed with my Capricorn stellium father for Christmas, so I can talk about Capricorn. <laughs> I can talk about Capricorn. I love it, because I, I, and maybe some of this is because of the aversion, not, not the aversion, but or actually it is a lot of aversion to my Leo placements, but I don't have too many Capricorn placements in my life. Definitely not any stellium, which is kind of weird, but... Oh, they're everywhere in my life. Like, if it's not Capricorn, it's Libra, Taurus, or one of the fixed signs. Like, I, I can't keep up at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, it's for, well, I do have, like, my old boss's Capricorn <clears throat> Eclipse baby. I've still Aww. been. Jash. She, like, turned two. But. That's precious. I hope she's still serving, like, mean looks. It's great. Oh, she is. <laughs> I just got their Christmas card, and <gasps> she is like, even when she's smiling, she somehow still looks stoic. And I was like, wow, very. That's a very good word for um, Saturnians, because like I would argue, mm, is Aquarius more stoic? Yeah, I'm, I'm not even gonna <laughs> lie. Yeah. 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 I yeah. See that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, go. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. You know, like, I feel like, again, like, as we've done with every episode, to understand, like, what it means to be a Capricorn or have Capricorn placements, again, guys, don't sleep on the element, the modality, the planetary ruler any exaltation lords, and then the planets that are fallen and exiled there. And Capricorn is the only place in the Zodiac where both malefics are very happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> this will come up too, I think, as we talk about the Deccans. But I did, I did also just make note of that. I was going to also say that it's, um, yeah, Saturn's domicile here. Mars is exalted here. I think you know a lot of those stereotypes around Capricorn, like, oh, this is like the CEO sign, and like Capricorn's all about making money <clears throat> moves. Like, there can be an element of truth to that, and yeah, not, obviously not every freaking Capricorn is going to be like that, but. When you combine like the long-term goal setting that Saturn can be like really, really excel at with like mm-hmm. the decisiveness and the um, ability to take like quick action of Mars, then yeah, like that could you know like lead I guess to being able to like launch a successful business. Um, it's both it's like just both vision and long-term planning combined with action. That's like the positives yeah. of having both malefics. <laughs> yes. Also, guys, I need you guys to realize that just because Capricorn is an Earth sign, it is not a fixed sign. Like, Capricorn <laughs> is very cardinal. Yes. And I don't, it's like, I don't care. Capricorn, Moon, Rising, Sun, all the ones that I've known, even though, yes, they're hardworking and committed, they're always looking to start to do new things. Always. The things that they decide to commit to are things that have longevity. That doesn't mean they want to stay doing the same thing forever. Literally no Capricorn I know does that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Um, That really is the difference. Because a lot of those are like traits could be seen in Taurus placements too, of which I have a few, but I really could probably do certain things like forever and ever and ever. Yeah. Inert (laughs) and Capricorn do not belong in the same sentence. That's Taurus. (laughs) (laughs) That is Taurus. And um, I think the problem is that the change that Capricorn goes for is like this gradual change that if you are not observant um, is hard to perceive. It's like, think about the connotations of Saturn and time and how like, you know when you see yourself every day you're not thinking about aging right it's not until you go back and look at pictures of yourself and then compare them to pictures now that you're like oh i'm different i've had that experience like where it's like oh i'm living through like photos in my old iphone i had this experience when i was like transferring everything to my new phone and i found pictures from like 2017 and i'm just like what like i don't look i don't look that much older but like there was a roundness to my face then that i don't have now and Mm. i think that you know because it's like a gradual slower form of change like people just kind of think it's i don't know I think that's a good segue into talking about why the moon is in detriment and struggles in Capricorn because yeah, Saturn's absolutely a timekeeper with a real, real focus on long-term cycles. The moon is the opposite. Like Saturn's the slowest moving planet. The moon's the fastest moving planet. The moon absolutely is a timekeeper, but it's just also just so focused on like the immediate day to day. I think that's why the moon can often signify like your needs and wants and it can be really kind of hard to tap into that when the moon is in Capricorn yeah but you know what I will say like thinking about Capricorn 
you know, being a domicile of Saturn and being opposed to Cancer, a domicile of the moon, like there's weirdly this element of like security and like needs. And I think the two planets just approach it very differently. Mm-hmm. Cause like you said, the moon is like really fast moving and like sometimes the things you want, need or crave, it's like a shorter term thing. Right. Whereas like with Saturn, it's more of like, okay, here are the potential threats to like my longevity or existence. How do we keep those things out? So whereas the moon or cancer or those archetypes are about like, oh, let's increase or like try to stay as close to the familiar or recreating the familiar as possible. Like I feel like with Capricorn and also that Saturnian like um, archetype of like being foreign, distant or other, right? It's like all about, okay, here are all these potential other things that I need to protect or barrier against. And so like, I think that very much has to do with like, you know, the difference between what I call the comfort versus security axis. Like, Mm. yeah, yeah. no, I like that. Um, It makes me even just think of like one of the most common associations I could come up with the moon is food. And mm-hmm. so, you know, when you hear people talk about cancer moons or like Taurus moons, like, it's <laughs> like, oh, these are people who really love their food. And I have often found that to be very true, myself included. And even when I just think about that, like when you go and get like whatever kind of comfort food that may or may not be the healthiest thing, right? Like eating it. And again, it's like, try not to put too much judgment on like, and like morality calls on food. There is also just the reality of some things are just going to be like healthier than others, but it is also like, well, maybe all right at the moment, maybe that comfort food that's going to make you feel a little better is good for you like right now, like in the short term, but there are also just like more, more long-term choices that may be better as well. No, I'm glad you brought that up. It also makes me think of Jupiter as well, because <laughs> yes. Jupiter has fallen in uh, Capricorn. And when you brought up food, I thought of like how like I've noticed it during like Cancer moons or Taurus moons, but mostly Cancer moons. I'm just like, I want to indulge. Moon, Jupiter together, like when they're really happy, really indulgent. Like a lot of people sleep on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then like I feel like there's this lack of indulgence that um you know uh Jupiter and Cancer is prone to and there's like this almost like scarcity mindset mm. that comes about like and I think of the phrase like you know everybody goes there's like this joke like oh I want to go to McDonald's and you know there's a parent who's like we have food at home <laughs> we're not like I-, I immediately thought of that or like <laughs> You know, the Scrooge, like, I think of Santa Claus as a very Cancerian archetype, but, like, Scrooge is, or the Grinch as being, like, Jupiter and Capricorn, like, like you know, like, you know, it's like, oh, like, what's the point in, like, you know, like, there's this, this, like, emphasis on restriction or, like, restriction of expansion, but, like, what's ironic is that it's not that, because there are lots of Capricorn placements, as you'll see with our examples, who are, like, really indulgent but i noticed that like there's almost this sort of reverent there's like this sort of reverence for like the material that like you know maybe you want to be more conservative with it or you don't want to just waste there's this emphasis on like 
conservation that I feel like is huge with the, you know, the Capricorn archetype. And like, I think it's, while it might not be fun all the time, like, I think it's actually a really good um, and really positive manifestation of like certain Capricorn placements. Yeah, that's definitely going to come up when we talk more about the Deccans. But in terms mm-hmm. of, yeah, Jupiter's fall in there. I often think about just how Capricorn can just be so nose to the grindstone. And it's a reminder to me that, again, it, like we said earlier, the two malefics really, really enjoy being here. And I think when we started this discussion, I think I played up a lot of the positive qualities of like two malefics being here. But I think it's also important to like not to note, too, that there's... Um, it's not, it, this is not a jolly place for Jupiter, that's for sure. It's not jolly. And not you jolly. know what? That's not like, it's not terrible either. Like, okay. Like, I know that some people really try too hard to like make, you know, things that are difficult seem more positive than they are. But like, I think the thing about malefics to remember is that they're difficult. They're just meant to be difficult and, you know, um, say no to things. Right. And one thing that Capricorn is good at is telling, you no. (laughs) (laughs) not, you know, but you know, sometimes like hearing no is necessary. Like whether we like it or not, like boundaries need to be set and like, you need to have like discipline so that you can accomplish certain things. Uh And that's like a necessary part of like just existing. Um, another astrologer, Patrick Watson, like a few years back did a really good thread. And I think a blog post too. And I was still like really trying to learn like debility on Jupiter and Capricorn and mm. he, the Jupiter, Jupiter and Capricorn figure he had thought of was, um, oh my God, why am I blanking on his name? Sam in Game of Thrones when he's in Castle Black. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it is really, really fitting, especially as the seasons go and he starts studying to become a to become a maester. <laughs> it's just like, oh my god, that this is just it's so so Jupiterian. But, um, but yeah, it was it it was he found himself in kind of this really really shitty spot, but actually ended up really 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 making the most of it. The fact that he was alive by the end of the show, compared to just so 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 many characters who didn't, I think it's just. I thought it was a pretty good take. Yeah, you know what? And I, I will say that, like, I know we're like, yes, the moon has, like, the moon is uh, in her detriment here. But, you know, she does have triplicity in mm-hmm. Capricorn. And so the way I interpret that is, you know, people understand the need to, you know, forgo comforts and to, you know, endure um uncomfortable circumstances because sometimes that's necessary for survival and, like, When I think of, you know, a place where Mars, you know, does well and, you know, the moon isn't doing as well, I think of the different parts of like survival and appetite because, you know, Mars is driven, but I think unlike Scorpio, it's like a different kind of drive. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. It's less about like what you want and what you feel. And it's more about like the, the consequences of like an action. Um, and, you know, I think people understand that to some extent, whereas like, you know, Jupiter doesn't really have any triplicity here. So it's just like feeling like any sort of expansion is like too much. And I actually know a lot of Jupiter and Capricorns. It's actually really funny. Me too. Um, 
And, you know, me having a Sag Jupiter, it's like night and fucking day. Like, <laughs> I'm out here just like, we can do anything. Like, we can do anything. It's like, you know, nothing is impossible. But they're always like, this isn't possible and that's not possible. And, you know, Jupiter does expand and, you know, bring excesses to, like, the things it's around. And when I think of Jupiter and Capricorn, I think of, like, and also to some extent Jupiter and Virgo, because it's, like, very similar, like, <laughs> pointing out flaws in things. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And... I would say, like, for people who have Jupiter and Capricorn, one good way to win the rewards and honors that Jupiter can be associated with is point out the flaws in literally everything. <laughs> and people will want to give you, like, money for it. Like, I'm just literally thinking of my boss, Jupiter and Capricorn. That's literally, like, his whole, that's his whole thing. Like, hmm. if he embraced that, I think, like, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. like it. Yeah, no. I, and I'm glad you pointed out the triplicity that the moon does have in there because I have one of my really good friends is a Capricorn moon and when it comes to issues and our journey or when it comes to things like embodiment I I as a Taurus moon feel like I have more in common with her than I do not which is really funny that I have an exalted moon and she has a moon detriment um, yes yeah. one thing about a cat moon is yeah like I feel like and I feel like you know I feel like Capricorn moons actually do have a lot of feelings. Uh, they do. Like, <laughs> I feel like part of the reason they don't like sharing them all the time is because people kind of like dismiss. Uh-huh. I think of that Saturnian, like, you know, we're dismissing your feelings. Like we're, or like, you're not allowed to have feelings or like, you can't have feelings in this context. Right. Like, I feel like that's something that's Saturnian moons, but probably like the, the Capricorn moon embodies a lot more than the uh, Aquarius moon because, you know, again, the moon has no triplicity there. And like, there's more of this detachment. Like I would see that as more of this detachment from like, it's like, okay, people are going to dismiss my feelings, but I also like don't care. Yep. Yep. No, cat moons do, they do get hurt. I think whether they show it or not, if those feelings do get dismissed, um, my like that same cat moon friend of mine she's like the eldest daughter of like immigrant parents and like she has three younger brothers and so her whole life has just been like you know her feelings putting her feelings on the back burner for everybody else having to carry everybody else's burden yep Yep. (laughs) yeah exactly I do want to wrap up the cap archetype discussion by talking about the tarot card associated with this sign, which is the devil, which is probably mm-hmm. one of the most misunderstood and maybe potentially controversial of the tarot cards. You know what? Like, I love the devil as a card. It's fucking great. I, when I say great, I don't mean like, oh my god, it means good things. But like, I think some people overstate how negative of a card it is. I agree. I agree with you. Like. It's that and death. Like, people just don't. So, like, I love the devil because it's all about, it's equal parts about, like, you know, what you're drawn to. Like, what, there's, like, this kind of, like, lusty, enticing component that gets, like, ignored. Because all you see is, like, the fear and the anxiety that the figures who are, like, stuck in this situation have. But it's, like, you were enticed into the situation, Mm -hmm. now you're kind of stuck in it 
you know? Yeah, I I like this card too. I don't think it's like all bad. Um, I, you know, for anyone else who reads 78 Degrees, you know, she divides the tarot card, the major arcana into three lines and the devil is the start of the third line and third line is all about transcendence. So to really think about like the devil as the beginning of that, of like coming to grips really with what it is, like you really, really do desire and want, like, and it can be some of the not as fun stuff too, like the kind of shame, codependence issues, like all the kind of stuff that you may harbor inside, all of it, like you have to really, really, the more you can kind of really bring that stuff to surface, then the more you can like learn more about yourself and live with the life that you really, really want to live. Yeah, and then, like, um, I find that in some decks that I've had, like, the way that they frame the archetype is, like, what are you willing to chain yourself to? Mm -hmm. Like, because part of the reason that, you know, you allow yourself to stay in certain, like, situations that almost seem, like, repetitive or that you can't escape is because there's something you want. And it's, like, there's also this, like, hidden emphasis on, like, choice versus free will. And I think of like the, there's this weird Saturnian component to that because it's like, one, what is the fundamental essence of reality? And like, what are the, you know, rules and limitations under which I can act, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like the Mars exalting is just like, you know, within these constraints, like, what am I driven to do, like, for better or worse, right? And I think that's where the element of like, almost being punished or being stuck in a situation comes up with the devil. Like just thinking about all of that yeah yeah and i think you if you if you have the writer if you look at the writer weight artwork it's hard to ignore how similar this card looks to the lovers which often does get spun into like i think way more positive than it really is and then judgment yep. the other card that looks very very similar to it all three have to deal with choices oh yeah they do and um you know, what gets me about, there's also, okay, so I will say there's also a weird parallel with the, um, it might be hard to see, but like the chariot a little bit, because there's this like figure and there are like these two like opposite or opposing like elements to it. And so like, I think there's this element of like contradiction as well with the, with the devil, because I'm thinking about like the fact that on the people, like they're stuck in a situation, but like the chains are not like tight. Mm -hmm. So there's this element of like, it seems like you're stuck, but if you look a little closer, um, and then like, where's with the lovers? Like everybody's just like romance. And like, I'm like, no, no. <laughs> uh, so one way I like to think about the lovers too, is like, people are like, I've seen people who like make fun of like twin flames as a concept as like <laughs> the two of cups is like the stable relationship thing where mm -hmm. you're coming together as equals. Whereas like, you know, the lovers is like the twin flame acid trip or something where you <laughs> think everything is, it, it, it's got this like weird Neptunian undercurrent that's like under, like, under understated. <laughs> so like, yeah, no, I, I can definitely see that. <laughs> mm -hmm. I agree. Um, anything else you want to talk about with Capricorn or are we ready to jump into Deccan? <clears throat> mm. There's one thing I want to say, like, um, I wish people would stop saying like Capricorn is literally just, you know, 
gaslight gatekeep girl boss energy like there's <laughs> way more to capricorn than that like you know capricorn can literally i mean and this will make sense especially when we get into the first decan can be like the you know the drive to accomplish great works or like take things that seem like small and insignificant and like slowly build them up to something more like i think that people don't you know appreciate the the like architect builder archetype of capricorn enough and i think it's understated so it's like stop seeing the fucking venture capitalist and see the you know artisan the conservationist the person who wants to beautify things and make it more useful and enjoyable for people like I agree. I, I don't think I have a single CEO or girl boss in my example, so I'm excited to go through them um, just to kind of, yeah, just show the complexities yeah. beyond just CEO, girl boss stereotypes. I mean, do I have some? I mean, I have literal, like, I have, like, people in government. I do yeah. have royal examples, but, like, yes, <laughs> me too. All right, let's just jump into it then. Okay, Capricorn one. Um, Austin calls this a headless man. <laughs> uh, and this is a, uh, so if you're using the triplicity system, this is a Saturn ruled Deccan. But if you're using the um, Chaldean system, this is a Jupiter ruled Deccan. Yeah. And Austin describes, he calls this a headless man, but he puts a lot of emphasis that this is not violent imagery, that it's, awareness moving downward to the earth and that's a quote that i think i got in my notes from hearing his lecture i i take that as like perhaps it's not being so in your head and just kind of like whether it's like listening to your body or kind of looking at the bigger picture more. yeah 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 no for sure and one thing i will say is that compared to the previous set of decans we were looking at the imagery is not violent. I would argue the imagery of the Capricorn Deccans is actually like surprisingly unviolent for like, you know, a place where both malefics are having a great time. Yeah. So I did want to actually talk about that because the shift from the, so the, the tarot card associated with this Deccans, the two of pentacles, which um, T. Susan Chang describes as the Lord of change in her book. And mm -hmm. the shift, so the Deccan before this is Sagittarius 3, which we talked about in the previous episode. <laughs> that card is the Ten of Wands. And I, one of the ways, one of my favorite interpretations of Two of Pentacles is it's, it's, it's about taking inventory of your resources, the time and your mm -hmm. energy, and realizing that, like, coming to grips with the reality that you only have two hands and you have to make some calls on, like, what is worth holding and taking responsibility for and what's what do you need to say no and let go for like as you had said earlier capricorns can be very very good at saying no and so mm -hmm. to think that ten of wands is what precedes that like i will always draw ten of wands on days where i've taken on way too much and i either like i either need to delegate or things are just and if i don't if i just ignore that call things are just I tend to end up just falling apart in some way shape or form anyway so um so yeah i i think it's very very funny <laughs> that um the ten of wands like immediately precedes this and i agree with you like these sag deccans were more violent <laughs> than these so violent <laughs> so violent like i i feel like 
this um, Deccan is also like weirdly like I don't know if you felt this way about like some of the imagery like on the tarot card like the two of um, pentacles or like even in just like hearing Austin talk about you know the relationship between like you and land or you and terrain like for some reason I was thinking a lot of the fact that when a lot of cities or civilizations were built a lot of them are built around water right um like there's this weird like fluidity and i just think of the fact that capricorn is the sea goat capricorn is um you know and a lot of uh significations of saturn are about you know the boundary between land and sea and so like there's some there's some of that that shows up in this imagery for me and then i think there's that jupiter saturn like dance between like how should we stabilize things versus how should we flow? And mm -hmm. like, I think that's very, very loud with this particular deck. And yeah, stabilized movement <laughs> comes up in like this, even in the Rider weight imagery of this card, but also the, the major arcana mm -hmm. associated with this are the wheel of fortune and the devil and the wheel of fortune. It's not, I mean, at least based on what you could see in the imagery, usually you're not thinking like wheels on the bus where the bus is moving and then the wheels are moving with it. No, you're thinking about like mm -hmm. a wheel that is constantly spinning around a centered axis. And mm -hmm. even when you look at the two of pentacles, like, yeah, this man's moving, but you don't really get like a frantic sense. No, in it. like, um, yeah, like you had mentioned, there's just a fluidity to it. Yeah, no. And then in uh, 36 Secrets, I like how um, Susan Chang describes this as like the difference engine. And like, I love how in some of her um, like Jupiter ruled decans, she brings up like the mechanics of physics and stuff. Because I know we think about like physics and physical um, things as being. Um, you know, like rigid rules, but it's all about how things move and how they can like expand and constrict. That was one of the images that really stood out to me when I was going through this section. Uh -huh. um, but then also like, I'm just thinking about like the, the boundary. It's like the relationship between something that's solid and fluid and like uh -huh. the relationship between like something where there's a boundary and like maybe something that's less defined and something that she mentioned at, towards the end of that section was how she's noticed that there's been like weird like instances of like communicating with spirits or like channeling that comes up and I was like this makes a lot of sense actually I like that like mm -hmm. yeah um because no I, I'm thinking of like for example, like my dad who has like a Mercury Venus conjunction in this decan of Capricorn. And, you know, after talking with somebody, like I was thinking at first I thought my dad was a cancer rising, but like he might, there's a, there's a good case for Virgo rising as well. And I was like, <laughs> wait a second. No, but like the talking to like, you know, spirits are having like the, the ability to like channel like, or interface with like, whether it's the divine or like a spirit or something like I, I feel like that imagery does show up a lot in particular like it with at least with people I know who have placements in this decan like personally so I, I was like wow that's like really underrated I'm glad you mentioned it because now I'm like kind of looking through my list of examples and I think there's some that could be relevant actually to that um no, I, I agree with you. I think 
I think the only other point I wanted to make about, I guess, just the imagery or just the the signification of the two of pentacles um, is, um, yeah, there, there's motion, there's fluidity, there's trying to find that stability um, when there's movement all around you. I feel like the two of pentacles and the wheel of fortune have a lot of common in that sense because both cards to me just tend to scream. Mm-hmm. Change is inevitable. <laughs> And change is constantly swirling around us. Like, how do you stay centered and stable throughout all of it? Honestly, that's literally a Capricorn proverb. I'm sorry. Like, change is inevitable. The only thing that's constant is change. I cannot tell you how many times a Capricorn-like figure has said that to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I can I can read the descriptions and stuff. Okay, sounds good. Okay, so Ibn Ezra says, An irascible black man, his body is like that of a wild boar with much hair, and his teeth are sharp and long as beams, and he has a cattle goad and he catches fish. The Picatrix says, This is a man holding a pipe in his right hand, but a hoe in his left hand. The garden tool, not the other kind, people. and this is a face of happiness joy and the scattering of tasks and laziness with weakness and unceasing evils agrippa says in the first face of capricorn ascendeth the form of a woman and a man carrying full bags and the signification of these is for to go forth and rejoice to gain and lose with weakness and baseness okay and finally the yavana jataka says the first decanate in Capricorn is the color of collyrium. His teeth are terrible as a crocodile's. He is armed with a staff, and his actions are like those of time and death. He stands in the middle of a cemetery with an armor of heavy hair and a strong body. Wow, the connotations of time on that last one are pretty loud. <laughs> yeah. I think time is gonna time comes up in its like own way in like all of the decans, but this one for sure. All right, sir, is it time for examples? Yep. Okay, so do you want to go first? Want to go first? I think you should go first. <laughs> I have to think about mine. I have to think about mine because I feel like a lot of mine are more. Okay, not all of them, but some of them are more like conservation-y like relationship to land-esque interesting yeah I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what your take was on this because i did notice a few patterns in mine um let me just start with one example that i thought was good <laughs> for a capricorn a sudden um capricorn one was the um astrologer and astronomer taiko brahi <gasps> yeah he has a sun in this decade in the 12th house it's, it's conjoined to mercury um and the sun rules his seventh house and i just think when we were talking about just like movement right the fact that when we look at you know different models for the solar system he really tried to adapt the um copernicus heliocentric model with the ptolemaic view because he was an astronomer too as well as a um or astrologer as well as an astronomer and mm-hmm. obviously that didn't um you know, we, we now, the world obviously clearly follows the heliocentric model. We as astrologers still do the Ptolemaic system. But he also was able to kind of um, dispute the Aristotelian view that the celestial realm is unchanging. Because he was able to prove, mm-hmm. like, what comets or comets were. He was able to prove that, like, new stars are forming. And um, 
I thought one thing that was interesting, I was just thinking about, again, that son ruling the seventh house, what lies. Was he actually went into exile because he was in disagreement with the Danish king, but this brought him to Prague, and that's how he met Johann Kepler. And oh, wow. they both ended up, like, um, Kepler actually ended up getting really influenced by him, vice versa, too. But um, anyway, yeah, I... For whatever reason, I guess just especially the work on this, the solar system and stuff just made me think a lot of just the imagery of two of pentacles. No, that's like pretty loud. And so when I think of like conservational or like thinking about like the relationship to land and like how it operates, like one of my examples is actually um, Prince Harry who has his uh, Jupiter in the first house mm-hmm. and it's in this Deccan. And so, like, something that stood out to me is, like, recently he um, penned a very moving letter about why people should um, stop the drilling in this one, um, I think it was, like, the Okavango River Basin or something, like, because I can't remember which country it's in. I'm so bad at this. I am so sorry. But what's happening is that whatever government is in control possibly wants to cave to some of the oil industry and, like, you know, go and start drilling there. But it's like, it's an ecosystem that is like housing a bunch of animals that might be endangered. Um, The people, you know, it's also bad for the environment. And also like, if we're moving towards like a green world, like why do we need to keep drilling more oil? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and you know, he has all these um, sort of sorts of like environmental things that he's, you know, working on another example that i had was actually the prime minister of canada who has his son in this decan you know in the fifth house and you know what's interesting is before he decided to go into politics he actually he was like going to do some kind of like geological engineering degree or something like he was working on that and then you know, he had this charity he was a part of because his brother died in an avalanche. Mm -hmm. And so like, I I think of like the fact that um, the, you know, the ruler of the 12th is in the fifth house and like he encouraged or like used his story to encourage people to, you know, like give to efforts to, you know, prevent avalanches or like, I guess, you know, study like how I just think of mountains and like falling and collapsing. Okay. Like it's just very loud. (laughs) Uh, No, there's some other stuff there too. And like, I think it's interesting that, you know, I guess a huge part of his political platform is like being green or whatever. And we'll see how that goes. But (laughs) I was, I was going to ask you if one of your example charts was AOC because yes. okay. <laughs> she has she I, I was she is also on my list she has saturn here in her second house conjoined to uranus and neptune um and it's a domicile but it also rules her third house and so the fact that the most famous piece of legislation she's known for is the green new deal i think really really fits with just the, the, the two examples you had just shared you know i i like using her as a foil to um uh warren buffett who has saturn in this deck and as well but she actually has uh she has it like sandwiched between uranus and neptune like they're all like hanging out there mm-hmm. and i also think about like everything she says about like housing quality and like opportunity to like have you know resources so that people can afford housing 
And I think of the fact that Warren Buffett has built his whole like empire off real estate, which is very like, you know, Lord of the Second and Domicile and this Deccan, like, because there are connotations of like real estate um, yeah. that she, show up. She loves talking about her like love for navigating bureaucracy and how a lot of that had started when she was younger, dealing with like her father's death and them actually having to deal with like their house, right? And yeah. so the, now that she's like in Congress, she's like all about trying to make all of this kind of stuff accessible by using her social media platforms. Yeah. Um, another person who, wait, wait, wait. Lin Manuel Miranda, he has his moon in midheaven in the Stecken. And wow. something that I think about is, you know, a lot of people don't know that his. Um, both he and his dad have like lobbied efforts to like develop land in Puerto Rico Mm -hmm. and how like, even though it's under the guise of like improving, you know, the place where he comes from, it's like a lot of those things have displaced people. Right. And so like, I think about that, like, and how he's really invested in a lot of those projects, but he also has a cap stellium. So I'm just like, He's going to be really fun to talk about in uh, Cap 3. <laughs> I I wanted to, sh- for some of my examples, I wanted to shift gears a little bit because I, especially with the folks who had Jupiter in this Deccan, mm-hmm. I saw a lot of world building and sometimes that can be tangible like housing, estates, land like you were just describing, but I think it could also be more literary as well. And um and I think it could also like show it's like not so good side. So I'll, I'll start with that example. So Adolf Hitler has mm. Jupiter here conjoined to his moon in the fourth house. And I think, unfortunately, I think some of that fourth house stuff can come up as like, for, in his case, the nationalism, the pan-Germanism. And um, yeah, and uh, yeah. Uh, and you know he was known of course especially contemporarily for his savvy in politics and war and he was successful at his time um, on that but was ultimately defeated and is now known as like the epitome of evil but a lot it is really really crazy to think about just how so much of that you you can view it as world building like even him writing Mein Kampf right it was really his he had this vision in his head of this ideal unified German state but unfortunately it also involved eliminating the that he thought were undesirable yeah um that's like kind of wild um one person that i think a lot of is um okay not like a fascist or anything but like i'm also thinking of other jupiter examples i have a couple so barack aka dwayne johnson like he's actually what does he have he has the moon and jupiter conjunct uh, in this decan of Capricorn in his fourth house. And I think of the fact that, you know, like just because it was in his fourth house, like I know that he comes from like, you know, a multi-ethnic, multi-racial background. Like he actually moved a lot when he was a child. Um, and I think of the fact that like he also went into a lot of different things that, you know, his dad also used to do. <laughs> Um, so for example, you know, he played football, he was a wrestler, he did all sorts of sports, like, there's almost this sort of, like, jack-of-all-trades, like, energy that also comes up with this Deccan, and, like, knowing, you know, who to rub elbows with, and, like, 
who to invest in and what to invest in. Um, and I think at one point, you know, in his life, he did end up, and there's, again, we're coming back to this conservation and like, um, this conservation sort of thing. Like, I know he's very outspoken about, um, you know, his Pacific Islander ancestry and, you know, preserving like Hawaiian land and preserving the culture and things like that. So like, that's something that's come up with his narrative a lot and something that some of his like work or investment has like gone into. He's also, you know, um, invested in like disaster relief too at various points. So Hmm. there is that. Uh, yeah, another, um, another actor who has, he actually has a whole Capricorn stellium, so he'll come up when I talk about the other Deccans, but he does have Jupiter here, and it's Clark Gable, who was known as, he was called the King of Hollywood (laughs) during his heyday, which I think really fits with his Cap 3 planets, but he, um, he had a really, really long career. He had, he was 37 years in Hollywood and like nearly all of those films, he was a leading man, but I think he also just, he clearly had some kind of like versatility where he didn't get wholly typecast. It just makes me think a lot too about The Rock's career of like how he was able to make this shift from WWE to acting. And now I think he still Mm -hmm. to this day is one of the highest paid actors in Hollywood. Um, yeah, I remember when he first went and came into the scene with Scorpion King. <laughs> um, yeah. People thought he was a big joke, and <laughs> like it's like, well, like look at him now. Like how many years later? How many decades later? Yeah, another Jupiter example I have is actually Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> uh, she has Jupiter ruling the ascendant in the eleventh house, so Jupiter is also rejoicing, ironically. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow is another example of like, don't let having like debilitated placements scare you. You can still be very successful and very happy. <laughs> um, and so I don't know, like, I think it's interesting how like, it just makes me think of like Goop, her brand, and like her personal brand lifestyle company, like, and when you read about it, it just sounds like a mishmash of random things and just like kind of throwing whatever's at a wall and like seeing what sticks and just kind of building a foundation on top of it. I feel like that's what she ended up doing with um, Goop. And so, um, and there's this huge like theme around like playing with different ways to market so that people will want to, you know, invest in things. And I think the Jupiter being depressed piece is like, you know, things that seem like they don't have the highest value, people will, like, pay top dollar for it just because of, like, how out there it is, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, like, when I think of her, I kind of think of the fact that she has her ascendant in that first decan of Pisces, which is also Saturn-Jupiter, but it's, like, flipped, right? And it's, like, that in a jupiter rule sign. And so there's this element of, like, that both of them have for like fishing for treasure or like, I think of that one example where it's like some entity is literally fishing and it's like, she's baiting people into buying things and Hey, cause Jupiter's rejoicing. It works. Yeah. I, <laughs> you know, as someone who works in communications, Goop really does in many ways um, go against what you would typically learn about marketing and advertising like even the name itself just sounds something just sounds very very unappealing but I 
when I think again about what you mentioned, those cap placements, I think a lot about how I think I think a lot of her success with Goop is that she markets toward um, people who tend to be like a little bit more affluent because they they have to be able to afford this stuff. Who mm-hmm. um, she's all about mindfulness and wellness, right? And yeah. a lot of it caters toward this audience of people who really like want to live for as long as they can, but also be as like well and able bodied as they possibly can mm-hmm. be into old age. And that just screams like Capricorn to me. Yeah, and like I think of like I don't know. It just makes me think of the wandering like tradesperson like selling snake oil to you but like maybe you wanting to believe it because it's like you're being sold like i don't know an elixir that will keep you alive or something yeah it's it's wild but hey like it's it's working for her so (laughs) it's definitely working for her um my last jupiter example is neil gaiman has a Jupiter in this decade in the eighth house, and he's most known for writing American Gods, which is now a TV show, and Coraline, which became a movie, an animated movie. Mm. And I, I kind of think back again to just the world building, and I think in Neil Gaiman's particular case, it, it brings me back to just even the conversation we were having about the Devil card and its associations with Capricorn. Like American Gods is like a show about like today's vices becoming the new gods and being at war <laughs> with the old gods, and Coraline's about a girl who discovers like who just wants to escape her workaholic parents who like are ignoring her like not meeting her needs and she discovers 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 this whole other world with like an other mother and like an other father um but yeah i thought that was my last jupiter example no i really like that one because it kind of speaks to the like you know like the like it's like there's this like boundary and you're kind of crossing it and it's like this parallel universe i mean I just want to bring up my last Jupiter example, which is Khloe Kardashian. She has <laughs> Jupiter in, you know, in the twelfth house. I think this is all opposing her son and stuff in Cancer. Um, and I'm just thinking about the eleventh house being ruled by Jupiter, and it has connotations of like, you know, how the fifth house is your children, and technically the eleventh house is other people's children. I'm just thinking about the fact that like. <laughs> During this new moon in Capricorn, like, basically it was confirmed that her, the father of her child had another kid while, you know, or got another chick pregnant with his kid um, while they were together. Like, oh I, I, I feel like that's, um, that's really loud. <laughs> I had not heard that news yet. That is wild. Yeah, no, that's fresh. That's fresh news. Oh, like. And he apologized to her yesterday, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh and, you know, like, and I also just think about, like, her closeness with, um, like, Rob's kids. So, like, Rob's daughter, um, who she's, like, really invested with. So, like, her just having all these, like, strange relationships with, like, her own children, but other people's children, like, mm-hmm. showing up with this particular decan. And just like the weird ups and downs that come with that. Like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, Chloe. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
One quick example, I wanted to mention it because you had mentioned like the talking to spirits earlier, but Charles Dickens has Saturn here in the fifth house. I love it. <laughs> and I just think about the Christmas Carol, which is one of his most famous stories and how it involves literally like three ghosts from past, present, and future talking to Scrooge. No, um, that that that's literally great. Like I I love it. And then the other, just quick, this is not specific examples, but the one thing I noticed, because, you know, with Saturn being a slower moving planet, sometimes you'll get like a mini generation of folks, you know, with this placement. And I noticed that a lot of the impressionist artists have Saturn in Capricorn in this Deccan, like Toulouse-Lautrec and Renoir. And I thought, you know, impressionists are most known, but especially the one, the examples I found, they're, they're most known for being playing with light and movement in their paintings. And I thought that fits with that two of pentacles. Um, I love it. Yeah. I'm just also thinking about how like, oh, I forgot. Last Saturn example, Adele, who has her seventh house Saturn conjunct Uranus and Neptune. And I think it's interesting how she sings a lot about um, knowing your worth in relationships and like knowing when it's time to stay or leave. Because I think that's another manifestation of that placement. So in the case of Khloe Kardashian, it shows up in terms of like, do I stay and endure this and like deal with like children that are not mine, you know, like as a result of my baby daddy or like in the case of Adele, like you clearly have a relationship, you want to work at all costs, but is it worth staying? Mm. And I feel like her last album really explored that very heavily and I was very impressed with it. So. Yes, and I'm super here for how into astrology she got, and she like <laughs> she's been talking a lot about that Saturn return, actually. Yes, Queen, I I, I love that for her. Yeah, I really want to know who your astrologer is. Yes, and why why it's not me? No, I'm joking. <laughs> right? I know only. I'm I wish still, I was joking, but I'm not. I'm, <laughs> I'm still hoping Megan the Stallion will one day call me and be like be my astrologer <laughs> yes. but um my last example because i her we already mentioned her chart and i think she's gonna come up again when we talk about um Deccan three is Jelaine oh, yeah, maxwell because she's got she's got mars and mercury conjoined in this Deccan in the eighth house um with the eighth house significations right i just think about how i actually really didn't know anything about her until mm-hmm. all of this um you know we got her, you know, her second, like being convicted as a sex offender, um, had come up. So I was reading a little bit more about her life, but she, she's, she's wealthy. She's a socialite. She had a rich family and just continued to just kind of be rich. It's because she's been in these circles all her life. That's how she met, um, Epstein. Um, yeah. 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 No, like I, also like i don't know if you've noticed but they're all trying to like sanitize her image and it's actually really fucking annoying uh-huh. like so you'll see that she has mercury the sun and mars in that Deccan, oh right God, i forgot about the sun but yes you're right and um i remember like reading the story about like fuck i can't remember who published this article but i was just like why are you trying to make people feel bad for her like really and i think of the fact that her ic is technically in the third whole sign house but so is her fourth whole sign house ruler and i think there was a period where like so for the third house piece it's like literally like two days before she was born her brother went into like a coma Mm -hmm. because he got into like a car accident or something 
that like wow. he never woke up from. And so like, I feel like that being in limbo is very much like that son in the eighth ruling the third. Mm-hmm. And you know, like her parents never really paid attention to her because of it until she was like, Hey, I'm here. And then like, that's when they flipped the script and like gave her literally everything she wanted because like, but then also there was the story about her dad, like stealing money. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, doing some shady stuff with like whatever company he was at even though they were like pretty wealthy like and he got caught for it and like you know she refused to believe like you know that he would ever do such a thing but then again it's like you know the planet that represents her and her dad are like the same planet so like why would she want to believe that yeah and i think of the like the jupiter piece of that deck and of in terms of like what you want to believe right and the things you want to be true and so like i just think it's interesting how like you know that shady kind of like not quite their character is like represented by her dad in that way but in the other way it's like my brother was literally in limbo on life support like as soon as i was born wow and it kind of overshadowed her because that sun is like literally burning up the planet that represents her like no that's Hmm. very loud actually that's super loud yeah yeah and even just even with this very very high profile case the fact that we still like there's just still so little right like people still don't Mm -hmm. really know exactly when she met epstein they think her father had introduced them like people still don't really fully understand like what exactly was like the relationship like you know even the even servants living in that own house just like we're just all like what's going on Mm -hmm. yeah i know that's a good point yeah but yeah let's do cap two because i don't think i have any more examples for cap one i'm ready I feel like all of my fun examples are Cap 3. <laughs> yes, me too. So Cap 2 is, Austin Kovic refers to this one as a pyramid. And it is ruled by Mars and by Venus, depending on which system you use. And uh, as the name connotes, and if you are, you know look at the traditional Rider weight artwork associated with the Three of Pentacles, which is the card associated with this Deccan, it's there's just so much architecture and great works and projects just like associated with this Deccan. I I find it very um, you know Venus 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 co-rules this Deccan, but Venus also has triplicity here. And I just think about how out of all three of the cards um, in the Cap Deccans, this is the only one that has more than one person, right? We have three people mm-hmm, in the yeah. image, and so I just think of how Venus plays into this as like. In order to kind of, if you really want to get great works done or big projects done, we most of the time can't get through that stuff alone. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree. And I think there's this like ostentatious, like elaborateness of the works. It's not just like, oh, I'm painting a picture. It's like, no, I'm literally building a fucking cathedral. (laughs) Yes. Like, I need this person to, like, tell me which pictures or, or depictions of the Bible they want on the stained glass. I need, you know, the physics guy to tell me that these metals will go together and, like, not, you know, collapse. I need the person who can actually build it. I need the person who can, you know, do other art things. I need the person who can make, gla- you know what I mean? There's, there's a lot of people that goes into making, like, a beautiful structure 
Right. This um, is very. This is very. But go big or go home. But not in like this bombastic way. Like either. Like when you look at the Three of Pentacles artwork, it's it's pretty benign looking. Actually, it's like probably one of the more boring looking cards. But then it's even funnier when you realize that the major arcana associated with this is the Tower and the Devil. <laughs> so ironic. <laughs> like it just makes. It's just giving like. Let's build the Tower of Babylon so, like, God can strike it down with some lightning. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? It's actually, because I know what in my notes from Austin's workshop, I have that hubris, hubris can live here. And it's like, you know what? Yeah, like, people thinking that they are, you know, basically building God's gift to man or something. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but you know like equally in terms of like collaborating with people like I've noticed that people with placements in this decan tend to manage people very well mm. usually for like a creative purpose you know what I mean mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I it's interesting because I actually like my examples have a little it's a mixed bag of that because I have also seen examples of people who are who don't work well and then as a result weren't able to really kind of build that great work so yeah no I I, I feel that but you know what else like I I will say the one thing that stood out to me from reading 36 faces um hold on let me go back to my notes the one thing that stood out to me about this section like was that um uh, Susan Chang describes this as time and materials and one thing she did with all the Mars cards in like all the cards that have Martian like undertones based on like you know decanic or other what or like golden dawn associations she took the lines of the Orphic hymn to Mars mm -hmm. and associated each of the nine lines with a card mm. and what she associated with the three of pentacles was exchanging the might of arms for works of God. Oh. And I was like, wow, that is so loud. That is so freaking loud. Yeah. Like, I think that that's a very good way to describe even the way that Mars and Capricorn works hmm. because like, but I'm also thinking about the fact that Jupiter's um, degree of maximum fall is in this decan. And I'm thinking about, like, if you take certain connotations of Jupiter, and I think, like, if you're more of a Vedic practitioner, right, and you see the more spiritual nature of Jupiter, right, and, like, the more um, religious connotations of Jupiter, which I feel like are understated, mm -hmm. there's almost, like, this um, materialism or this materialistic um, need to capture like the spiritual so that the message of the spiritual gets lost mm. and when I see her say things like okay associating this with the line that says exchanging the might of arms for the works of God like it's like hmm it's like okay maybe you are getting divine insight and inspiration but you're so caught up in the material manifestation of that, that you're losing sight of the, you know, the narrative, like the purpose, because Jupiter's like the purpose or the narrative, right? Mm -hmm. This makes me think of, you know, so the tower and the devil are associated with the three pentacles and they're side mm -hmm. by side in, to each other in the major arcana. And it's funny, you, you, you could look at it in different orders. Like if you go from like devil 
to the tower, you could see the three of pentacles as like, okay, you have this like devil moment where you kind of really realize like what it is you really want, or perhaps mm-hmm. some like not as pleasant things like under the surface come out the surface, and you get to now this tower moment where things need to like end or things need to come crashing down. And so the three of pentacles could follow of like what what am I rebuilding in its place and how am I working with others to get there? Or you could look at it in the opposite with direction, which feels more of what you're talking about. It's like you start building this great Tower of Babel kind of work. You know, you start with the Three of Pentacles first, and then you have this tower moment where all comes crashing down. And then now you're like mm-hmm. back in the devil where you're really trying to piece together, like, what happened? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, uh, the examples I have for this is interesting. Like, I have a few um, Mars examples that are something (laughs) (laughs) i do too do you want to start with your mars examples then so frida kahlo is one of mine um she has mars conjunct uranus in the sixth in this decade and you know i think for her in her case the way this is manifested is like i guess in some sense like coming to terms with her own mortality because you know like part of the reason she started doing art was because, you know, she couldn't really do anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, creating these, you know, great, a lot of, like, her most notable work is, like, related to, you know, self-portraits of her and, like, just different ways of, like, depicting herself. And so I just think of her as, like, you know, I guess, like, one manifestation of her healing, which is I can see as, like, having an exalted Mars and joy mm. is by, like, creating, like, like using art as an outlet and I, I think it's interesting how that mars like literally opposes her whole like cancer stellium in the 12th yeah yeah no i think that's a really good take on that um it's just so crazy that she had wanted to be a doctor and then had gone to i know right and then and then ended up becoming an artist because of that and now she's like she's just gonna be forever known for her art yeah um, i know <laughs> one of um, one of my Mars examples is Queen Mary the first of England, this Queen Elizabeth the first sister who had taken power first before Elizabeth um, became queen. Um, this is um, she's also known as Bloody Mary. So whether it's like the drink or like that kid's tale that used to scare the fuck out of us when we were young. Um, yeah, that's who this is referring to. She was, um, again, one of the daughters of Henry VIII. And she was a devout Catholic who was very, you know, because her mom was Catherine of Aragorn, who was also a devout Catholic, very, very disappointed when Henry VIII, like, steered the um, England away from the Catholic Church, got himself excommunicated and created his own church. And she's known as Bloody Mary because um, she has Mars here, by the way, in the first house. It rules her fourth Mm. house and eleventh house. And she's got Pluto and her ascendant in Cap 1. yeah, she's known as Bloody Mary because she burned over 280 Protestants at the stake. Yeah, I mean, I have another example of someone who's actually kind of terrible. So Mike Pompeo actually has, um, <laughs> what does he have? He's like Mercury and Mars. Is it conjunct the North Node? Or, wait, I think he has the nodes in Cancer Cap. I have to check again. Give me like two seconds. It's Mercury conjunct Mars, though. Um, and he has this in the ninth house. He's also someone with a capstone. Okay, so it's co-present with the south node. Um, and so 
like I will tell everyone till they're blue in the face like if you know anything about Vedic astrology some people will tell you that K2 the south node is very much like similar to Mars in terms of like vibe and I mean this is somebody who you know has a military career this is somebody who was head of the CIA under Trump and think about like the fact that you know he used his um role to you know sell people certain countries arms like i think like didn't they have that big arms deal with some country like while he was um trump's like secretary of state slash um you know cia head of the cia cia but like this is somebody who's like climbed the ladder like really well and somebody who's like managed like a whole like institution dedicated to surveillance which i feel is very much that mercury piece yes um and basically his job was to like say whether you know the u.s thought that certain governments were legitimate or not or like selling arms to um other um nations and things like that so yeah wow yeah, so, okay, there was an emergency arms sale to Saudi Arabia that was a big deal Ugh. in uh, 2019. Oh, wow, the notes were still in... Um, I think it was a notable return for him, actually, when this was happening. Oh, God. So, well, that's, that's actually a good segue into one of my examples for somebody who has <laughs> the ascendant here is Niccolo Machiavelli. he um yeah he has his ascendant here and it's ruled by saturn and taurus too (laughs) in the fifth house and he's known as the father of the of modern political science and and being the author of the prince which is all about just like ruthless potentially ruthless political realism over idealism and Mm -hmm. the phrase even though this is not it's not a quote in the prince but it often gets identified as an interpretation of the prince is the ends justify the means and how Mm. what are you know like that the social benefits of stability and security are worth potential moral corruption and that there's a distinction between public and private morality which actually I feel like it's coming up more and more in modern politics, especially with like the Trump selection, right? Of just like all when he was when we were in the 2016 elections, just seeing mm-hmm. there's all of these stories that are coming up that showed that individually he was just a really terrible person, but it wasn't enough to get him to lose the election. Um, but yeah, I thought Machiavelli was a really interesting example. Yeah, no. Uh, another example I have is um, Megan Fox, who has Mars conjunct the Ascendant in this decade. And I think what's interesting is that Mars rules her 11th house, but also her fourth. And like, I think it's interesting how we've talked a lot about the religiosity slash like, you know, strict belief that's like motivating people to do things. Um, because, you know, when she was younger, like, um her so what's funny is that like <clears throat> her father was actually like her biological father was um like a cop which is a very like mars signification like ruling the fourth but then her mom remarried some other man who was a really strict like um christian and he was super religious and like she wasn't allowed to have friends or anything 
And, you know, she lived under that until she made enough money to support herself. And then that's when she started, like, putting herself out there huh. and, like, pursuing, um, like, like she'd already done, like, acting and all this other stuff. And she, like, did modeling and, like, you know, she worked hard at it. And that's when she, like, finally, um, I guess, decided to, like, move out. <laughs> Because it's like, even though she's perceived as this very, like, sexual, sexy person, a lot of her life was not like that. Wow. Wow. And yeah. even, you know, she, she she is interesting as far as, like, you know, the sex symbols of Hollywood go. Because in terms of the role she's taken on, it this this isn't, it's not Venusian whatsoever. The, she very much is a Mars in the first house kind of person. Like, the fact that, like, Jennifer's she body is Mars. Is, yeah, she is literally Mars. Mars. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, she doesn't kind of take, she, she never ever kind of takes these like sweet, passive, like, you know, like fluffy feminized roles. Like, no, she's like. But you know what's funny is that like she, even though people perceive her as being very like sexy and sexual, she is not like that. Yeah. yeah. She's very much like, like, I think one underrated manifestation of, like, Mars, especially, like, from the Vedic system, is that Mars, like, especially, like, a higher ideal of Mars can actually be, like, celibacy and dedication to, like, a craft or a pursuit. Hmm. And if you listen how she describes herself, like, she describes herself that way. Hmm. It's funny because I saw she came up and I, I I don't study Vedic too much, but someone else had sent me like a link about like she has her moon in this in Leo too, just like I have like a ton of my Leo placements in and she came up in some whole video about like, um, it's not the lunar mansions. It's like the other thing. Actually, I'm just going to stop here because I'm like completely blanking on like what it is exactly I'd watch about it. But it was going into that exact that what you were just describing with her that like, yeah, she gets portrayed as a sexual person. But it's like kind of not what she identifies with. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, my, <laughs> I have a couple of examples for Sun in this decan. So, um, <laughs> this is one of someone who did not play well with others. <laughs> it was John Gadbury, the astrologer, who was oh friends with William Lilly, and then be- they became enemies. Didn't and- we try to get him like? arrested or something oh crazy. he did and i think lily had gone arrested cadbury himself got arrested for like other things that i, I don't think lily had a hand <laughs> in yeah no <laughs> it's the sons in his third house can join mercury retrograde and um you know cadbury had made some contributions to horror but it really is at the end of the day it's 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 william lily who's kind of the like i guess just the more known or like the bigger voice in this but i think even contemporarily during during their time when they're alive there's just so much beef and i think lily tended to come out on top oh you know what speaking of collaboration the heavy collaboration of the stegen dolly parton is a great example because her chart ruler mercury is in the stegen she also has a little capricorn stellium going on so she'll be fun to talk about for the next decade but um i think it's interesting how a lot of what made her a cultural icon were like the covers that other artists would do of her songs but also like the songs that she wrote collaboratively with other people like I I know like didn't she do um 
I will always love you yes. with uh, Whitney Houston. Like, yep. and there are a bunch of other ones that she did that were pretty uh, popular. So I, I, you know, I think that's really um, interesting. I like that. That shows up for her. Yeah. <laughs> another another one is that I have for Sun in this decan is um, Louis Braille, the man who would, I don't even know if man's the right word to use because okay, he invented Braille. Um, he was a blind organist. He was going to the school of the blind. He actually got his inspiration from like another student. And so like he, the, the wiki article is so funny because it describes him as like, he worked tirelessly on this system for years and then finally finished it at age 15. And I had to do a double take. Like, is this a typo? Like this whole 15 year old, like finished, like invented the entire Braille system. And it's like, no, he actually was 15 years old when he finished this. He, um, but he, he really had greatly credited this other, you know, person who had like, you know, and other people like who had really tried to come up with these um, systems where it's like raised dots or dashes, like on paper. Um, and he really improved on it. And now to this day, it's like one of the main writing systems for the blind. Yeah. Um... I think I like so my Venus example I think I only have one Venus example or do I have another one I only have one I didn't really have as many good um oh wait no I lied Robert Kennedy is another one (laughs) but um uh Olivia Rodrigo uh she has Venus in the first house conjunct Chiron um ruling her 10th and 5th and what I think is interesting is how she's become super popular and like I think of the fact that she's like an acclaimed songwriter like people are calling her the next like Taylor Swift basically Mm -hmm. and as much as I don't really care for Taylor Swift one thing I will say about her and I believe Taylor Swift is a Capricorn rising I will die on this hill (laughs) I think she's a Cap rising and I think she would be second decade but anyway that's neither here nor there but anyway um I think that um, what stood out to me about Olivia's chart was that the song that made her popular popularized all these rumors about like a romantic falling out. And I thought about what you were saying about like the world building that can come up with like some of the Capricorn Deccans because she has her um, ascendant in the first Deccan of Capricorn. Hmm. And it's like, while this was a real thing that happened to her, she kind of like, maybe embellish some of the details to write her song and like was able to create like a narrative or like um something and also like olivia does write songs for disney because she is on like what she's on like some high school musical tv show or something it's like she was writing songs for disney and then she like transitioned into her solo career um so and i know that the venus kazimi coming up is going to conjoin her um brain it's going to conjoin her venus and so i think it'll be interesting to see like what that looks like for her in terms of like turning points yeah. with respect to like her creative career because she's really like blown up yeah it's, it's nuts she's like blown up um and then my second um oh, excuse me my second venus example is robert f kennedy younger sibling of um john f kennedy and you know i just think of his like desire to foray into politics his venus conjunct the midheaven and so i think of the fact that you know like i guess he kind of like wasn't he also like a like a known like womanizer just like his brother yes yep yep 
Um, and I think of the fact that like he did a lot of, or he tried to, I guess, use the sort of like legacy that his brother had to, you know, run for office. Because I think of the, like when I think of him, I think of the hubris, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like my brother was president; he was killed. This is like there's kind of that like you know entitlement that comes up with some of these placements. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I know. I can't remember which Deccan's episode it is, but there's another Deccan's episode where I brought him up as an example because, like, when he was an attorney, one of his most famous cases was going after um, Hoffa <laughs> um, and just organized crime and just being just, like, so relentless about it. And ultimately, like, he did. He did end up getting Hoffa. Oh, yeah, because he's, he's a Scorpio. Um, he's got Scorpio placements. That's yeah, wild. it must have been. It must have been the Scorpio episode. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Also, like, I think of the fact that like he did have like a, you know, like a journalist career too, and I think of that, and like you know, he was one of those like well decorated. I did everything right so that I could get to this high position. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I'm just trying to think of what other examples I want to share. Um, no, I think it's funny you mentioned Olivia Rodrigo because, like, the only Venus example I had was Neil Diamond <laughs> as Venus here, and I think it's just so funny. He's also known for his, like, really, you know, he has upbeat pop songs in his case. Sweet Caroline's his most famous song, but he was actually known to be, he's known to this day to still be a very, very intense, restless workaholic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think other than that, I think the only other example I wanted to share for, and maybe there's one more, what, one example I wanted to share for Saturn here was Harvey Milk has Saturn in the 12th house, um, retrograde in this decan, and he, you know, he was the first openly gay man to be elected to public office, that was the Board of Supervisors in San Francisco, so that's what he's most known for, but he was he was in office very briefly because unfortunately he got assassinated by um, a homophobic man who ha- was also um, in the board of supervisors. Um, mm. But in that brief time he was in office, he passed two laws, and one was around anti-gay discrimination because again he was an openly gay man. But two, the other one was around like requiring dog owners to clean after their uh, after their dogs, and these are not like especially that second one. It's not the sexiest like legislation out there by any means. But anyone who has ever not like especially Americans um, who've never ever lived in a city where that is not required, like you really really take it for granted until you get to a place where it's, like, people do not clean up after their dogs mm-hmm. and it's just like it's a really good yeah as a result like i most major cities in the u.s do require that now and it's i think it's a beautiful legacy even if it's not the most glamorous one. no that's great i love that <laughs> oh my god i am so excited to do this next one real quick i wanted to get your thoughts on like the last one because i was very a little bit perplexed and surprised by this but i was very very surprised that both like louis the 16th and emperor hirohito had saturn in this decan and oh my god it's very significant that these are two monarchs who basically became the last monarchs of of their respective countries like even though japan has an emperor now he he became a figurehead after hirohito yeah no 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 i I, that that feels loud to me like 
being the last of a dynasty because you know what like i i'm thinking about like the symbolism of uh the pyramid part right because mm -hmm. you know like you know as you get to the top it does get smaller right mm -hmm. you know what that that yeah no that that feels loud to me and i'm thinking because uh what's her name kate middleton has her son in that deccan and she's an eclipse baby and there are theories that William will probably be like the last Prince of Wales mm -hmm. because people theorize the monarchy is ending. <laughs> and you know what? You know what? I I can get on board with that. I, I can see it. I can see it. Yeah. No, I see it. I definitely see it. Yeah. I mean, a quick note, like, so Louis the 16th, you know, not only did he lose the crown, but he got beheaded um, in the midst of the French Revolution. Emperor Hirohito has that same Saturn, but it's conjoined Jupiter. And, you know, he was allowed to retain a figurehead title, him and, him and his entire family and his descendants to this day. And he still is called Emperor. He just cannot be called, um, I don't know the, the Japanese word for it, but he used to have a title that was like, it was kind of some like a, like a, that alluded to him being an immortal like god ah <laughs> uh, um, got so it he, yeah so you can't be called that anymore so it's, it, when you compare it to obviously ever here you know got the the better um the better the deal end. uh Still, what was, was did did louis have like any harsh aspects to that saturn i'm curious no i was that's another thing i was like, i have to look more at this chart but um no i was kind of surprised because i was like looking okay where's mars it's like no that mars trines that um yeah it, it, he his chart definitely needs like a deeper dive because he has a very very interesting that's surprising to me he's got like oh. this domiciled sun this domiciled venus like on this is domiciled he, Saturn. Is he a night chart? This is this is one of those ones where it's like um, uh, six twenty six a.m. His birth time. Fuck. Okay, but, but like honestly, it's it's really giving night chart to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's giving that is acting like a night chart. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Um, Anyway, yes, now we, we can move on to Cap 3. Now I know you're very excited about oh, this. Oh, Cap 3. Like, I, you know, the reason I love it is because we're having this really intense Pluto transit through this Deccan now. And you know what? Like, I don't know about you, but like, all the shit going on with the economy right now, I'm just, I'm just taken back to 2008. With the last, what was it? So it was literal. Oh God, that's literal. So the ingress of Pluto into Capricorn was the housing bubble. First decan of Capricorn real estate crashed, which crashed the economy. Right? Yeah. It's interesting how like it's different now because like we're in a pandemic, but like, so the one thing I've been following on and off is like this uh, Chinese real estate company called Everlane. Like they just got pulled off the market to um, trade in Hong Kong. They got pulled off the market because I think the Chinese government is going to force them to tear down some buildings because like I think they have to file for bankruptcy or something. Like it's just crazy. Like they're basically a huge like real estate company in china which is like this huge emerging market right uh -huh. and 
and people are kind of worried about what implications that's going to have for the economy. And I've just been watching that because I know everybody's like looking at, they're thinking about like move, the movement of Pluto is just being like, oh, it's the US's uh, Pluto return. And it's like, that's great. But like when Pluto dips into Aquarius after leaving, it's going, if you use the 1949 chart for China, that's like Pluto getting ready to ingress into the first whole sign house. And like China's moon and ascendant are pretty early in Aquarius. So like that's an energy that's building. Yeah. And so I'm wondering like what the potential collapse of like the current economic system means for both the U.S. financially, but also like China's identity as a country. Like I think that's what this back and forth between Capricorn and Aquarius that's going to go on for a while Mm. means. Wasn't, so, um, didn't Pluto ingress into Capricorn in 2008? Yeah. It was like, oh, wait. Yep. Well, that's unfortunate. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. I, um, well, let's, let me just backtrack a little bit to just introduce Cap 3 a bit. This, Austin calls this the throne, and it's ruled by the sun <laughs> and Mercury. And the way he describes it is like, okay, like in, in the previous two decades, you've accumulated your resources, you strategized, you, you know, built your great works. Now you're in the big chair You're You are like the chairperson or the chairman. Um, it tends to like refer more to like leadership. That's not necessarily a front facing like leader or the figurehead. It tends to be, yeah, that kind of like that more behind the scenes um kind of person who still nonetheless has significant amount of power and is just really trying to like hold on to that as much as possible (laughs) and you know why i started talking about the um economic part is because i like how um in 36 secrets it's this card slash deccan is referred to as money in the bank and if you've looked at the four of pentacles you clearly see that there is a very, very greedy man sitting on his coins, <laughs> holding his coins, and having one atop his head. Like, I mean, this is someone who wants to hold on to money at all costs. Yes. Um, yeah, like, uh, it's so. it also has oh, auditing energy. Like, it also has big auditor energy. Like, when I think of this deck, and I think of, like, the IRS. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Or, yeah. <laughs> I agree. I, I think this card has so much contrast with the Two of Pentacles associated with the first Deccan, where um, both do a bit of inventorying and auditing in a sense, except, mm-hmm. like, I feel like the Two of Pentacles is, like, at the beginning of the process where you're really trying to assess, like, how many resources you have, whether that's material or it's, like, your time and energy and what yeah. kind of boundaries you need to set. And then, whereas the Four of the Pentacles is more of after that process of, okay, like, this is what I've accumulated, like, I need to constantly, like, inventory, and I also gotta store all of this up. Yeah, and I think that there's this, like, assumption of control, mm-hmm. like, with the sun being, like, one of the co-rulers of this decan. Like, I think of this in, in contrast to the other uh, sun-mercury decan, uh, which is what, I think it's Virgo 1. Is there another one that I'm missing? I'm pretty sure Virgo 1 is like either the only other one or one of the other ones. Hmm. 
I can't. I can't think of anything else. Yeah, because the only, it's interesting how the only other um, Sun Mercury Deccan is in an Earth sign, but it's like the beginning of Virgo, which is like you know, it has a lot of like you know agrarian like sort of like planting and like cultivating land type things but instead of like you know using your hands to like see through a process like instead you're like you're like writing the orders to make keep like a well-oiled structure like running uh-huh. right uh-huh. you know i think about uh, heavily about like okay so for example pluto and it's like okay for pluto I feel like on a large scale, it could be what a country or entity sees as powerful, where it's or how they amass power, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then like for generations, it's like their relationship to power. And like, I think a cool way of thinking about generations or sub generations is, you know, seeing the Deccan where Pluto falls. Mm -hmm. And I feel like with Pluto having being back in the U.S.'s third decan of Capricorn in the second house, you can easily see how there's just this, like, needing to manage the money networks around the world. Mm-hmm. See how the U.S. has amassed power by, like, making the U.S. dollar, like, the standard for trading, right? Mm-hmm. It's the standard. Um, I think of stuff like that. It's like, Mercury is just as much like about printing and writing and it's like whoever's printing the money is powerful, right? Mm-hmm. I really think of that a lot, especially in this decade of Capricorn. I I like that you're already thinking ahead about what's going to happen once this Pluto starts kind of dipping back and forth between Aquarius 1 and Cap 3. Um, on a personal level, like when I look at my natal chart, my lot of spirit is in the final degree <laughs> of Cap, Holy crap. Capricorn, and then my <laughs> midheaven is in Aquarius 1. And okay. it's when it comes to like, especially when it comes to career, but in general, right? Both the log, the log spirit's absolutely just like life direction type stuff. The career definitely mm-hmm. falls into that, and then of course the midheaven has um, career um, significations as well. Like I, <laughs> I feel like I have the. I, I, I'm even seeing it now, even just in terms of like even apartment hunting, where I have to constantly strike the balance of like do I play it really safe and conservative when it comes to like my resources and really try to hold on to like what I have, or is it time to like, really like I, I really have to like freaking change up the structures and systems and like completely just change everything. <laughs> and, yeah, no, yeah. it's, it's, it's really interesting. Like, um, and I think that there are elements of like this Venus retrograde conjunct Pluto station that are elements of like how do we reclaim ownership of our like resources and influence over them and where they go by like adjusting our values Uh right Uh i think that there's like a huge um thing there and like i really like how in 36 secrets like there are connotations of like what are the pitfalls of wanting money and uh i think it's interesting as a contrast to the four of uh, cups which is the uh card and deck in opposite mm-hmm. which is like i'm dealing with excess and i don't want any more whereas the opposite is like give me everything <laughs> you know <laughs> like i just think that like abundance or excess versus like you know scarcity and like having to it's like different 
relationships with like amassing money. Like, I don't know. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, the four of pentacles, um, is the Lord of power. And I, I like that Susan Chang mentions like the golden dawn, like specifically calls it like earthly power. Like when you look at the right away artwork, artwork, like this man is literally covered from head to toe in pentacles. Um, there's definitely like a hoarding, um, energy here yeah. for sure. Um, which is really funny to see in Capricorn because Capricorn thinks so much about the long term, but in this deck, mm-hmm. in, it's like hoarding's not necessarily bad, but there also needs to be a recognition that most things aren't meant to last forever or need to be held forever. And yet somehow mm-hmm. at like the end of the deck, deck in, we come to grips with the reality. It's, it's like a lot easier said than done, maybe. Yeah, no. And if you think about like the movement through the last decades of the earth signs, it's like the relationship of letting go of uh, the grip over resources, mm-hmm. right? Because like, you know, in, you know, cap three, we see like someone trying to amass as much control over resources as possible. Um, you know, and in Taurus three, we see that that's like lost. It's like something is lost and you have to salvage what you have left. And, you know, fortify in case something else threatens to take away what you have. And then, like, by the time we get to Virgo 3, it's like, you can't keep this shit. It's going to somebody else, right? <laughs> like, you just can't. So, yeah, no, it, it's 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 a vicious cycle for sure. Yeah. I, um, I think it's, you know, even just going back to what you were talking about with the U.S. and China, um, you know, leaders or chair people or you know whatever you want to call them you know it's not mm-hmm. also necessarily people like it is also global powers too um i think it's mm-hmm. interesting that the sun and the devil are the major arcana associated with this <laughs> and that this is this is saturn's domicile but the sun as we were talking about even with the moon too the sun's also a timekeeper which is what t susan chang talks about yeah um like saturn's looking at long-term cycles the sun's dealing more with the day-to-day but the other thing too is that um the sun also is like an archetype for like leadership and world leaders too yeah that's true um no and also funny story like the saturn uh, yeah the saturn pluto conjunction was right on the jupiter of uh the china chart so like there (laughs) that is like food for thought like all these transits have just been like you know hitting Uh and just hitting like one after the other after the other right yeah and so no it's 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 definitely food for thought food to think about um yeah yeah Um, (laughs) okay let me just read some of the uh descriptions because they're they're kind of fun uh oh my god i forgot to read the descriptions for the other one it's fun um Let's see. Okay, so where am I? Okay, Ibn Ezra says that this is a beautiful woman, though black. I mean, okay, racist. Um, And her hands are skilled in all kinds of work and spinning of silk. Um, The Picatrix says, a man opening a book and closing it and having before the book the tail of a fish. And this is a face of riches, the accumulation of money, and the ascent of business affairs tending toward a good end. Agrippa says, in the third face ascendeth a woman chaste in body and wise in her work, and a banker gathering his money together on the table. The signification of this is to govern in prudence, covetousness of money, and in avarice. 
And then finally, the Yavana Jataka says, um, the third decan in Capricorn is a woman with loose hair, a gaping mouth, and a hanging belly. Her red body is tall and thin. She holds a noose in her hand and wears a winding sheet. She delights in injury. It's like, yeah, I don't know. This is like a decan of people like willing to do whatever it takes to get money. Mm. Like. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I think like the most savage of the imagery you've read. Yeah. Three. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, literally, like, okay, so one example I want to bring up, which is mm-hmm. hilarious, is Lynn Manuel Miranda, because he has both the sun and Mercury in this Deccan in huh. the 10th house. And you're going to laugh because if you look at the sinistry of him and Alexander Hamilton, you know, the person he wrote the play about or the musical about, um, you know, um, uh, Alexander Hamilton is also a Capstellium. <laughs> he has the moon and Mercury in Capricorn. The moon is somewhere in, in either like the first or second decan of Capricorn, similar to Lynn Manuel's. But the difference is that um, Alexander Hamilton has Venus retrograde conjunct the Sun and Saturn in this ah. third decan. And you know what's funny? So Pluto and Venus are hanging out around that 25 degree point, the 25 degree mark. And, you know, his retrograde Venus is at 25 degrees. He was born a few days before the Kazemi in Capricorn. Yeah. The retrograde Kazemi in Capricorn. No, it's it's really interesting to think about. And if you think about Alexander Hamilton, he is the reason why we have the financial system we do in the U.S. Yes. He is the reason. He is the fucking reason. And I think it's interesting that all these transits are like bringing all of this back up. Because if you think about it, like when the Constitution was written, like that was a Pluto transit to his Venus and like his sun and basically his whole stellium. Like it was a transit. Yeah. His whole stellium. Like it's weird to think about, right? Like, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. you know, here here we are. Yes, Alexander Hamilton was a Pluto and Sagittarius, like some of you people listening. It's crazy. I know. But like, (laughs) so, um, yeah, no, the sinistry is insane. And I think it's interesting how like Lin-Manuel is known for, you know, writing a very, you know, here's the thing. I liked Hamilton. It was fun. It was a fun way to learn history. Obviously, it was through like whatever lens. But I think it's interesting that he amassed a lot of wealth and influence just by writing about this guy who he has insane sinistry with. It's it's unreal. It's unreal. Like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that's that's cool astrology. I, yeah. I, I have an example of another creative who also has very interesting sinistry, sinistry with his creation is um, Gustav Eiffel. The architect of the Eiffel Tower. Oh my God! Stop. He has, Ven- <laughs> he has Venus in this decan conjoined to Neptune, <laughs> and he and the Eiffel Tower has is also a Leo rising like him, and <gasps> and Jupiter is in Cap One for the Eiffel Tower. Stop. <laughs> that is iconic. I love it. I love. I it. love it. And you know the Eiffel Tower to this day is like one of the most like it's 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 still a controversial art piece and it's it definitely in its time right people like people had really really various reactions to it some people thought it was just really ugly today people really think it's just very very cliche because it's like when you think of paris you think of that and it's like the biggest tourist attraction 
but I will tell you, like, <laughs> I visited it, and it actually really is a fucking, like, marvel. Oh, yeah, me like. too. It It's, listen, like, for being built when it was built, it's great. Like, I'm sorry, like, it's it, it's great. It just is, and, like, it's maybe not effectively used architectural architectural um whatever but like it's well constructed you you have to admit it is Uh um and the fact that you can like view so much of you know the city and like so much like on the outskirts of the city is like it's it's amazing and i think it was probably the inspiration for like a lot of um other towers right like skyscrapers moving yeah yeah (laughs) yeah like god now it makes me want to see when uh cn tower in toronto was built (laughs) because um what i've noticed about some of these like iconic like buildings is that they're almost built as like a flex it's like some kind of flex it's not because it's like useful or anything it's just like this is just a display of wealth Oh, yeah. That's all this is. Like, yeah, and that was absolutely the Eiffel Tower. Like, Eiffel got the contract because it was a contest. Like, the city of Paris, or the, I, it might have been the, the government of France, like, wanted to commission this building. Um, but that was definitely, like, you know, in, in at a time when nationalism was really starting to, like, really take hold of so many countries, especially European or Western mm-hmm. nations. So, um yeah, no, you should, astro.com actually has, like, a good database of, like, historic buildings, and with I some need to pretty see good times, like, the Eiffel, not not only the Eiffel Tower, um, but the Empire State Building has Saturn in this Deccan, also in the Sixth House, like, a lot of these, a lot of these towers are Leo Risings, <laughs> and very loud, but, yes. Damn. Wait, I just want to see when CN Tower was built. Or, like, is it just the day that construction was started? I think a lot of these places are using the groundbreaking. I think. Oh, or, actually, no, it looks like... No, it's not the groundbreaking. It does look like it's the completion. Yeah. The Eiffel Towers is the completion. Let me see what they use. No, sorry, the Empire State Building. The Eiffel Tower, they use... Let's see what time. Um, no, because I'm, I'm, I'm extremely curious. I think the Eiffel Tower, they're using, like, the official, official opening, which is, like, when they hoisted, like, the French flag on top of it and stuff, and was like, it's done. I just want to see, because if there's something at the end of Capricorn... I'm going to be very. <laughs> You're going to laugh. Yeah. So when construction started and uh, wait, when did this thing open finally? It wasn't until three years later. But anyway, um, when construction started on this thing, Jupiter was moving through the third decade of Capricorn. It's literally just and like when I went to CN Tower with my mom and sister this fall, like I remember um, reading about it and basically it was like, yeah, this is just a flex to show how good um, Canadian like infrastructure was like that was the whole purpose of building it. Like there was no there was no other purpose, literally none. (laughs) It was just a flex just to say we have money. And it's like, you know, it's what's funny is that uh, Jupiter was squaring Uranus and Libra 
at the mm. time when it was built. So, yeah. Um, I want to just kind of quickly rattle off a few examples. I don't want to go into too much detail on them, but I, I thought these were good examples to just show just how um, leadership and sometimes it's not always like world leader, mm-hmm. front-facing leaders can fit in this Deccan. Um, I have a number. Um, so um, I had mentioned Clark Gable already. He has like a cap um, cellium, but he has um, placements in this Deccan specifically, and he was like known as like the king of Hollywood. <laughs> like that's like literally his name. Um, Betty White mm-hmm. was the first lady of television. She has um, she has the sun conjoined Venus in the sixth house. <laughs> oh, okay. So uh, Dolly Parton is another sun conjunct Venus in the fifth house, and like you know, again, she's this like pop cultural icon like yeah. who was able to cross over from country like i think that's a big deal for her um, that's a big deal for her and i think she paved the path for so many other country stars to like do to do the same, same. yeah mm-hmm. um yeah. and then another quick one is wayne gretzky i mean who is still to this day i mean he's really like if you don't know hockey people will still know who wayne gretzky is right he's like the goat. literally me literally me <laughs> also like what's funny is that he actually so i went to the uh art gallery ontario and like he actually was friends with andy warhol and actually had a collection what? of his artwork yeah no it's, it's insane it's what? insane like Holy shit. i don't know T- the more you know like the more you know like <laughs> oh my god yeah no wayne gretzky has saturn in the 12th house so like in its joy conjoined the jupiter wow like i know this fucking guy. That's intense. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, he's won four Stanley Cups. He's won MVP, MVP eight times. Mm-hmm. My partner, who's super into hockey, has explained to me, because, like, in hockey, you get you get points for scoring a goal, of course, to win the game. But as a player, you can get, like, credit, not just for your goals, but for your assist. Um, and nice. he had explained to me that if you were to even completely remove like how much how many goals Wayne Gretzky had scored and you just looked at his passing and his assists, he would still be like the top scoring player of all time. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay, something I noticed about like Cap three, but also Sag three, which is weird, is like people who are the greatest of all time at something mm-hmm. have placements there. Mm-hmm. Like um let's see i'm thinking about let's see uh i have a few sun examples actually so Issa ray who just completed her series oh, um, did you watch it i haven't watched it like i'm now that it's all done i'm just gonna sit and binge it but like i remember her um awkward black girl series and like i just thought it was very symbolic that you know she has a son okay so she has the sun jupiter the midheaven and the lot of fortune all like in a pretty close conjunction in her ninth whole sign house and i think it's pretty loud that she's tried to you know depict um life as a black person without like struggles without this without that and i feel like she's done a good job of embodying that and i think it'll be interesting to see where she goes as like a screenwriter and like Mm -hmm. i think that you know between this project and like some of the other stuff she's been in i won't be surprised if like she goes on to write more interesting things right um Let's see. Uh, Martin Luther King, obviously, he's got yes. his son conjunct the midheaven in this ninth house, like known as a political figure. He was also a preacher and comes from a line of preachers, actually. So, like, I mean, it's also the son and joy, like, manifesting, 
um, very well. Um, uh, let's real see. Real quick, um, I did have MLK too, but like one example related to him because he had worked for MLK was Jesse Jackson. Um, Jesse Jackson wow. is his ascendant um, there, and it's ruled by a fifth house, Saturn retrograde Taurus. Um, nice. You know, he was a, he was a he never held like well. He, he his his political career in itself hadn't been as successful. He tried to run for president. Um, yeah, he was like what you would what we refer to as a shadow U.S. senator for um, D.C., which means he doesn't get a congressional vote. So he kind of had that. But he's actually most known for like a lot of his background influence. Anyway, he's clearly yeah very influential. It's very background. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, going in line with like goat territory tiger woods has his mercury who's his chart ruler um, in the fifth house yep and i think like with the significations of like mercury and like hands or something that requires a little more motor control and him like being like i think he's like one of he's like the highest paid golfer like ever yes um just thinking about like let's see so he's virgo right yeah like he's literally the highest paid golfer ever like he makes a ridiculous amount of money still to this day. It's insane. Wow. Um, and thinking about Britney Spears as well, who has Venus conjunct the South node uh, in her fourth house and how she's recently regained control over her finances from her parents, just because Venus also rules the eighth house of, you know, other people's money and stuff like that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how she navigates everything once her chart ruler is direct. Um, yeah. My last example, this is also really quick, is the sculptor August August Rodin has his <laughs> I um, love his Rodin, ascendant here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, his ascendant here ruled by a twelfth house, Saturn and Sag. Um but <laughs> um his most famous statue is a thinker and like it's like come on, it like almost literally looks like the writer weight four of pentacles man just like a man who's it does like really kind of closed in all you got to do is just add four pentacles onto the thinker and you'll get the four of pentacles mm. my last example is queen elizabeth and she has her ascendant here conjunct the south node and i'm thinking about how she's moved into a phase of her life where you know um there are actually like people it's not like she's just kind of like the figurehead but like there are people behind her like what do they call them the gray men in suit men in gray suits like who actually control the decisions that she makes right like especially with that south node being there like she's not really fully in charge of like her own destiny or whatever yeah so no, that's I think a that's good interesting one. shit. Especially with that Saturn, it being ruled by that Saturn in her 11th house. Mm hmm. Yep. That's like triply loud. So. Yeah. Huh. Well, that's all I have. That's all I have. Well, oh, wait. Elaine Maxwell. She's like Saturn here. Oh, and it's ruling that whole capstellium. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I like. Again, it's like another, this is shadowy figure stuff we had talked about earlier, like it's, and, and as the case against her, like evolved, it really seemed like she was clearly playing a very, very active role in this, because I think her defense was really trying to portray a story that she was maybe complicit, but she wasn't actively involved, but the prosecution was able to like, 
fully proved that no, she was actually very, very heavily involved. Like um, servants in the house testified that like mm. she was definitely like not just running like just the crimes that they were committing, but just the household too. Like she was heavily involved in um, Epstein's life. Yeah, and also with like Pluto, because Pluto hasn't even gotten to that Saturn yet, but it will very soon. And um, yeah, I. So I don't think this whole scandal with her is going away. Like, I know some people think, oh, it's just going to be her like going away and like whatever. But with Pluto going back and forth over her Saturn, like for the next couple of years, like. Mm-hmm. this isn't going away <laughs> and there's still a lot of questions too about like um all of these other wealthy powerful people who might be involved you might be involved right that she mm-hmm. was very very close with like there's still a lot of big 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 question marks about those folks yeah yeah so yeah no, no that's not going away anytime soon yeah sorry to anybody who thinks that <laughs> Um, okay. I think that's all I got. Yeah, no, that's all I have too. And, um, yeah, so I think that, you know, having gone through this episode, like, I think it would be good to have another, like, episode or two really clearing out, like, how to use the decades. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think? I mean, I agree. we can get into specifics later, but, like, yeah. I'm just, like... Even though the series feels like completed, it's like not complete. Yeah. No, I like it. I agree. I think it, it fits too with just all these retrogrades happening. It's like in some ways it's like a it's a summary, but it's also not. It's also like practical application to like um I, I, I like it. Let's just do it. <laughs> yes, okay, so stay tuned for that, you guys. Um but yeah, no, covering like all the Deccans has been a blast. Yes. Yes. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next time.